0: Hello, and welcome to Fatal Error. Uh, I'm Saroosh. And I'm Chris. And uh, today we want to talk about persistence. Yeah, we
1: realized that this is something that we hadn't uh, actually talked about on the podcast yet. And we thought it may be interesting to go over what are some of the like concepts that we think about when we think about persisting data for our iOS apps? Like, what are we trying to do? What are some of the common approaches all the way from user defaults to like core data to like third party persistence solutions? Uh, I feel like there's a lot to talk about here, and we don't really have an outline or anything, so let's let's dig in. Where do you want to start?
0: I would love to know. As you're working on an app. Uh, it's the new New York Times app. What do y'all use for persistence?
1: So, in this app, we decided to go with the app database, cool. and uh, we'll have links in the show notes to all the persistence solutions that we discuss in this podcast, of course. Right. We chose this. Uh, we chose Yap for a couple reasons, which I can delve into if you want to hear.
0: I do because um, we are actually looking at graduating from flat files of NS coding to something better than that, and so oh, we already okay. have our NS coders. I was thinking Yap yeah, might be a good fit, um, but I would love to hear some like on the ground experience.
1: So, if you're especially if you're replacing flat files, the Yap database may actually be an interesting thing for you to look at uh, because it's modeled as a key value store. Uh, it's not a. It uses SQLite under the hood to write things to disk, but you don't worry about that. Uh, you're looking things up by, um, like, by key, and so if you're trying to migrate from some sort of like, uh, I, I don't know exactly how you have files structured on disk, that could translate nicely into Yap Database, depending on your data model.
0: Yeah. So, so right now the way it works is like we just tell NS-keyed Archiver to write, let's say, an array of location objects. Um to a file, and that file just like basically acts as a cache for some stuff from the web.
1: But your intention is to like look up or to
0: use those location objects maybe independently of each other. Uh, yeah. But ideally, we want to like be able to filter them. We have about two thousand right now, which is just mm-hmm. enough to where it's like okay, you can't really store this in memory anymore. Um, we're having trouble putting it, bringing it all th- over the wire. Um, reading it, especially in certain circumstances, is taking several seconds. Uh, reading off the disk, so five seconds at sometimes. Okay. Um, and so we want to do something where we say, like, "Okay, oh, you're looking at this part of the map. Just give us these locations." And so, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so another thing that uh, you that that you'll keep in mind with the app is that it's not necessarily just a key value store. You can also put keys in buckets, which are called collections. So uh, each object in the database needs to have a key that identifies it, and that key only needs to be unique within a given collection. So you might have a collection of um, locations or a collection of, uh, say, that is some bucket of locations that you're interested in.
0: Gotcha. Does that kind of correspond to like a table? Uh,
1: It kind of does, yeah, although this isn't something that you're thinking about under the hood. Um, I I think that Yap actually writes... um, at least by default, it serializes things with NS coding as like blobs of data that that get written into SQLite. But you can think of a collection and collections and keys. I guess not, they're they're not really like tables because uh, the, everything in a coll- everything in a collection doesn't have to have the same schema. So you can have objects of varying different types in in a collection,
0: right? And can I index based on, let's say? index based on let's say the latitude and longitude so i can filter and say i only want things that are in this range of latitudes and longitudes you can do that yeah uh
1: so, since Yap is built on SQLite, it does provide an API free to create indexes uh, and index those objects, even though they're being stored as like blobs of data uh, nice. you can also tell Yap database how to create SQLite indexes for fast lookups of things. I think there, that's pretty cool It, it is really cool uh, and I think there may also be an extension for dealing with geo uh like geographical data uh more nicely in Yap database. I'm not sure if I'm making that up uh but if there if there is we'll put a link in the show notes
0: i saw that there was like a like an extensions section of the readme but i wasn't sure what all cool stuff you could do to it so so i'll have to definitely check that out yeah
1: absolutely so one of the other things that i liked about yap databases is very extensible it's like it's a simple model. It's a relatively simple framework. Uh, the like mental model that you need to keep in mind while using it is quite straightforward, even around things like uh, data flow and updates. Um, again, depending on how you model your app, you can choose to go with immutable or mutable models. but. You can use YAP database in a like very simple, very straightforward way, but it's also extensible. So these extensions that, uh, that you mentioned, that you noticed, let you bolt on all sorts of extra behavior and functionality. Um, the indexes that I mentioned, for example, are actually implemented as an extension of YAP database. You can also create uh, things called views, which you can use to map your YAP database into something that is, uh, very nicely compatible with UI table view or UI collection view. And that's also a YAP database extension. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's something to, that's something to check out. Uh, A couple other reasons that we liked YAP database. Uh, I'll go over two more points here and then, then you can talk about something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 go for it.
1: Uh, we liked that you didn't have to inherit from a God
0: object, like a God class, uh, some magical
1: superclass to work with it.
0: Right. Like core data NS managed object or active records, like base class.
1: Right. Or uh, realm I know has a similar like uh, base class that your models have to inherit from. Right. The only requirement that Yap yeah, database makes is that you uh, have to be able to encode your model objects to data somehow and decode your model objects from data somehow. Uh, by default, yeah, that's going to be via NS coding. Although you can also plug in your own encoding decoding solution. If you want, for some reason uh, you want to use custom serialization, go for it. That's pretty crazy. So this meant that we could use uh, swift value types in our application uh, with the addition of some adapter uh, classes that take care of the like coding and decoding part, like for NS coding compliance, but nice. outside of our sort of persistence layer, everything in the app is just dealing with immutable Swift structures which is really nice and which is something that core data or realm couldn't support for us.
0: Right. Right. Realm, since it relies on subclassing relies on using classes. So you can't use structs at all.
1: Right. Well, and yeah. And, and core data. I mean, I don't think core data, you have to have a managed object subclass too, right? Unless something, yes, you have to, unless something very big has changed since I last used core data.
0: (laughs) No, you do. The only weird thing that you can do is you can use transformable properties where those can be conformant to NS coding, but they have to be like a child property of an NS managed object. Mm, Okay, interest. That's
1: right, yeah. Yeah. And the last thing that we liked about Yap Database that really drove drove me to pick Yap Database for this application is that you can also create uh, relationships between not just entities in Yap Database. So you can have a relationship between like two things in your database that say like, Uh, when this object gets deleted, like this other object should be deleted. And it's almost like a reference counting sort of relationship. But you can do that between uh, or from things in Yap Database to files on disk. Weird. So you can say this entity in Yap Database owns or like is the parent of or has a like relationship to this file on disk. And so when you delete that entity from Yap Database, that
0: file on disk goes away. So, like, a concrete example of that would be if you have a tweet um, object in your database and you tie it to, like, some piece of media, like a photo that it's attached to, when you delete the tweet, it'll also delete the photo. Exactly,
1: right? Because let's remember, you know, this is still a SQLite database. You probably shouldn't be writing, like, three megabyte blobs into it. Um, right. It's, it's still a, a good recommendation, or it's still a good practice to keep your large like f- binary data blobs like photos, movies, et etc on disk. But so this provides a really clean way for you to like create these relationships and make sure that things aren't orphaned on disk after something falls out of your database. That's pretty cool.
0: Now d- does it work in reverse as well? So like could use could it use something like FS watch to like see if the file is deleted and then delete the element out of the database as well?
1: No, it doesn't watch the file system to delete things from the database. Although you you can have like these relationships go either way with between entities in the database, but you can only have an entity in the database that quote unquote owns something on disk, not the other
0: way around. Interesting. Yeah. Uh our app is really similar to y'all's. We have structs. Um those structs have code-generated encoders uh that will basically conform to NS coding and, and do that translation for you. And then we just, like, let's say we have an array of locations, we just write that to a file. But this seems like a natural evolution to that. So Like, I think this is probably, like, the direction we want to go in. The other really nice thing about this, I feel like this is kind of the way I would write it. And so I feel like it will make sense to me in a way that, like, something else might not. Since I'll be like, oh, I might have done some like basically this is like this is a hack ultimately right like you're using you're abusing the fields in the database table to store the whole object and then also adding indexes and whatever else you want to add to it um on top of a database that wasn't kind of intended to be used this way but this feels like something that i would do so i feel like i would really naturally like and i feel like i would understand it
1: I, it is pretty, like, it seems straightforward. It seems easy for me to understand. It seems to match up with, right, It's it seems like a sane implementation from my point of view. Uh, yeah. And while you may be kind of sort of abusing SQLite in this way, uh, you also, let's remember, can create indexes in SQLite to in, to enable fast lookups without iterating over everything. Right. You're still being, right. you're still taking advantage of SQLite's like um, write ahead logging uh, capability that it does and you know, all the fun things that databases do under the hood. Right. Right. So you're still getting uh, some bang for your buck here.
0: Yeah. But ultimately, like SQLite requires a schema and this is basically schemaless. That is true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is your like NoSQL database for uh, your iOS app.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of there's this really cool post about how FriendFeed does basically this exact same trick with MySQL. Uh, and they had, like, I'll, I'll put the link in the, in the show notes, um, but they basically had 250 million entries in their database, and they uh, every time they wanted to add an index, they had to, like, lock the table and, like, index all this data, and it like, became really expensive to, like, change their application. And so they did all these crazy, like, shards and read slaves and all kinds of other other stuff, and they realized, like, eventually, they're like, you know what? Why don't we just store the data as, like, JSON in the database and then add our indexes as, uh, I think they add their indexes as separate tables. And so the adding of the index is actually totally separate from the like, hmm. from the data itself. So you can create indexes super, super quickly.
1: And then I assume that they get like populated
0: asynchronously uh, once that index is created then? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just sort of like figures itself out. The, the block goes into some detail. My understanding is there are some trade-offs here, but like, basically this seems pretty good to me.
1: Interesting, yeah. Uh, I'll have to check that out. As long as we're talking about schema uh, like server-side databases, too, I'll throw out a, uh, a call-out to uh, PostgreSQL, Postgres. Postgres, yeah. Which uh, a while ago added some native features to support storing schemaless JSON and um, dealing with it in some neat ways. Interesting. I haven't actually used this, but if this is something that you're considering, I would highly recommend that you check
0: it out. Does anybody use Postgres on the client? That would be a cool idea. That, I, huh. I don't yeah. know. My gut feeling is that it's probably like
1: overkill, because if you have just one, like, reader-writer, then you don't, I don't know, then Sequelite's more
0: well-suited to what you're
1: trying to do. But
0: yeah, I've never heard of anyone doing that. Yeah, me neither. Seems like a pretty crazy idea, but i don't know but yeah i would pick if i were doing like server architecture i would definitely pick postgres it seems like the most stable and reliable thing whether you choose to have a schema or not i mean i feel sold on the app database I mean, i'm not gonna say
1: that you absolutely should use it over all other solutions uh but i think we're pretty happy with it so far and i think nice. it deserves a look i i think it's
0: what uh what downsides does it have
1: So one of the things that I was going to mention is if you're looking to store Swift structs in it, there is some uh, like boilerplate that you have to write or maybe code gen now um, with sorcery. Um, But there's some boilerplate that you will have to write for those encoder and decoder classes. Uh, Right.
0: So we already have those. So that's done. Okay.
1: Um, So that's definitely a downside. You know, I honestly can't think offhand of any big downsides that we've hit so far. Maybe if you do have data that you're storing in the client that really um, lends itself to having a well-defined schema and uh, maybe is highly relational, then this is not the choice for you, right? Something like core data does handle um, through like faulting, etc., does handle like going back to the database to look up other related entities really well. And that's just not something that Yap Database is going to do for you.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So uh, if right, you have something that's highly relational like that, then Core Data might handle things more nicely, although using Core Data correctly is kind of a pain. And we've discussed the possibility of doing a Core Data good or bad episode at some point.
0: Yeah, I think we absolutely should do that episode. Yeah.
1: Um, so, that, so that is one downside. But all in all, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm a fan.
0: Nice. Cool. So yeah, it sounds like if you want some of the, like ultimately, um, let's, I, I guess let's talk a little bit about Realm and Core Data and then maybe some of the yeah. uh, ways that YAP works while I come out and we can...
1: I was going to say, so we've talked a lot about YAP database and also somehow server-side databases so far. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk about some other approaches to, uh, to data persistence that you can take. And first of all, I want to, I'll call out quickly, um, you've mentioned just writing things to disk just as archive files, Um, this starts to fall down. uh, Well, do you want to give a really quick overview of when and how this starts to fall down?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like one of the things that I've been doing with new apps is, or trying to do, trying to get good at, is um, only use the bare minimum for what you need. So when this app started, it was like 20 locations that were coming down to one single JSON file. And, you know, if it were even less than that, I might have even started in user defaults, right? Um, I've built extensions that will, like, basically take some NS coding thing, translate it to data, and then store that data in user defaults. And, like, if you have, you know, under 20 items, that's, like, super, super not a big deal. So I might start there. And then at a certain point, you realize, okay, well, we this isn't going to, like, suit our needs. So you want to, like, scale it up one level. So the next level above that, I would say, is, this would go up to you know several thousand items, which is about where this app is right mm-hmm. now. Several thousand items. Uh, let's just take all the items, store them in memory, and then um, save them to a file on disk. So NS-Keed Archiver has a really simple API for just saying like, "Hey, take this object and all of its children and everything like that, uh, or this array of objects and all their children, and write it to this file." And you give it a path, and it just takes care of it mm-hmm. for you. Um, this scales pretty far, honestly. Like. Up to thousands of items this like pretty much just works uh in fact the bigger bottleneck that we're hitting is we're actually serving all of our data in one big json file uh. from the server and that's like a two and a half megabyte <laughs> download each time but you i mean you can imagine like we that means we don't have to worry about uh pagination um there's a lot of problems that it solves but we're hitting the limits of like two and a half megabytes per request it's like a bit
1: high yeah so that's quite a lot and then the other downside as you mentioned is that you're keeping all this in memory you're reading the entire data set from disk at once and trying to work with it and right, two megabytes like that's not that bad to deal with but you're you're starting to like maybe find some bottlenecks
0: well and the trick to remember is like okay let's say you download the json um it's like json plus a little metadata so it's like whatever the strings are plus the metadata call it three megs whatever um, not only do you have that in memory, but you're also translating it to these encodable objects in memory, which have these, like, structs, right? So um, that translation, you're actually holding two copies of everything in memory at once. So, you know, that could be a lot. That being said, I mean, it's not an image, you know. It's it's a bunch of string data. If it's 10 or 15 megs in memory, like, our phones have a gig of memory. Like, it's probably yeah. going to be fine. Um, but yeah, we're hitting these limits of like now with this single file, we're hitting the limits of, well, it's in certain weird cases, it's taking up to five and six seconds to read off the disc the very first time, I guess, before the caches are warmed up. Um, I assume the disc has a yeah. kind of cache. And so it's time to like, start thinking about, about options beyond that. So yeah. So I would say like, if you can get away with it, just store everything in user defaults. Once you get beyond 20 items, then start to think about flat files. Uh, which takes you pretty far. You just do all your filtering and memory, and it's really not that big of a deal. And then once you get beyond that, then it's time to start thinking about uh, some of these right. more advanced persistence options. So the
1: first persistence option that you're likely to uh, run into, that you're likely to find as, a, as an iOS developer, would be Core Data.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the first party provided, Persistence Framework. And that's a
1: huge thing to jump into right off the bat, like coming from flat files to Core Data. Yeah. So I know that this... Got a little bit better with um. Was it iOS ten when they added the like? What, what's a new API that's like a Core Data stack that you can set up
0: easily? Right. So there's NS Core Data stack, uh, which was which is pretty recent. Um, and there's also like you can now batch update and do stuff like that. Batch update, batch okay. delete. I mean, um, and so those are all pretty recent. I was thinking
1: just of the like core data stack, just because setting that up honestly was such a pain point, especially for someone who's new to core data and was trying to like figure out how to store stuff in their app. Like just getting a stack set up and working was non-trivial. Yeah. Um, and once you have this working, like, uh, the Xcode data modeler works fairly well. You have to deal with, getting your like model classes written and synced up with a data model or does that happen automatically now
0: uh i think that part's automatic but you have to set up the persistent store coordinator the persistent store yeah. the like at every
1: it's a pain in the butt i haven't actually used core data in a couple of years now so the last project that i used core data on we were using Mo generator uh which is a great tool nice. if you're working with core data and so I've like I don't really know if you have to use something like that now to keep your your data types in sync with the core data model or not.
0: Yeah, I think so there there's two components. There's one is like when your app is launched and the and core data reads uh it reads the model file, which is like a big XML file and it like makes the schema of the database line up with the thing it reads from this XML file. That's one thing, but then also your classes have to map to that schema, and there's no it autom- doesn't do that automatically. You have to type in each property manually unless you use something like mode generator, which will code gen uh, those classes for you.
1: Right, and that's what I was thinking of. And I mean, again, especially if you're new to the framework, that's just super weird and yeah. seems messy, right? It's super
0: super intense.
1: As with many things that CoGen can solve for you, that's uh, something that's tedious and boring, and where there's room for error to uh, to creep in.
0: Yeah, so I, I found the um, the Core Data Stack class. It's new in iOS ten. It's called NS Persistent Container.
1: That's it. I didn't think it was actually called NS Core Data Stack.
0: So yeah, somebody told me it was just called NS Core Data Stack, and that was wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's called NS Persistent Container. You give it a name, and then you can like start working with it. Done.
1: And so once you start using core data, then you get exposed to all the the sharp edges that come along with it. And we'll cover this more in our core data episode since we're already at maybe 24 minutes right now. But suffice it to say that there are a number of sharp edges that come with using core data uh, because it kind of because of some of the design constraints and goals that come along with core data. Uh, Core data tries to give you a like consistent and always updated view into the database in all your model objects. Um, It it tries to update things for you in like near real time as things are changed. And as it turns out, uh, that's a hard thing to do, especially when all your like models are also mutable, right? This turns out to be a just giant ball of complexity that you now get to deal with. Congratulations.
0: Well, and don't forget, it's not thread safe.
1: Well, right. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Right, so in addition to trying to like provide a like consistent view of the world to everybody and everything, um, and provide all this nice like faulting behavior, uh, it's not generally speaking thread safe, and so you have to do things very carefully. Any t- anywhere that you're say adding two thousand locations to core data from a two point five megabyte JSON response <laughs> in the background.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of weird tricks you can do around. There, there's people that are better at core data than us that you should go learn from. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's all kinds of weird tricks you could do. Like you can make one thing a background context and one thing a foreground context and only use the background one for writing and only use the foreground one for reading and this makes sure that things stay fast. Um, there's a lot of weird tricks you can do. It does work. A lot of people do use it. There's a lot of help on the internet uh, for it. But its it's got a lot of sharp edges and it's... It can be frustrating in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I tend to shy away from it these days. I,
1: as I said, I haven't used it. I don't think since maybe twenty fifth, twenty fourteen. At this point, is that even possible? Yeah, it seems reasonable. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's. I think true. I've used
0: it since twenty thirteen. No, that's not true. One of my clients used it, and it was a lot to. There was a lot to deal with there. Yeah. The other thing that I would be remiss if I didn't add is a lot of people use core data as a cache. So they'll get objects from their JSON, um, from their API, and then they will like kind of take each uh, schema and map it to a table and then like save those objects in the table. Right. But if you're just using this as a cache, there's uh, I think a couple of problems with that. Um, One is that you don't have these relationships set up of like, Hey, uh, what does it mean that if I like download this and a fresh piece of data comes in, like if this child doesn't update, like, are these things now out of sync? Uh, there are deletion, you know, relationships here that we talked about with the app, but like, there's also deletion relationships, um, in your core data stuff. Uh, I find with the cache, it's much easier to say, here is the new version I just got blow away the entirely blow away the old version take this new version, and um, replace it entirely. And that way, we know we always have a consistent view on the world um, as judged by the server. Right. If you have an app where where all of the user's data is on the device, core data maybe makes more sense because you do have, like, the entire data set at any given time. But, like, you know, if you if you use it kind of as a cache, you could end up with objects that you have, like, let's say, an ID to or a reference to, but that don't exist in that other table, like, if that makes sense. Well,
1: I mean, that's true of any sort of persistent solution that you're using as a cache right you're gonna have to deal with like missing IDs occasionally
0: right but I think if you're using it as a cache intentionally it's like much more obvious and those those boundaries are more sharply drawn and so you know whereas if you're just using it as like oh it's just a table and let me just bridge over to this table and oh my god the data's not there yeah yeah
1: that is
0: so I I think that's a big part of Core Data, and a big part of the mistake of Core Data is if you're just using it as a cache for JSON API. There are a lot better solutions than that. Absolutely,
1: yeah. That's that is one thing to note is that Core Data is clearly designed to be like your application's data store, not to be a yeah. like transient cache for parts of your application data.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So
1: one other thing that we probably should discuss before we wrap up would be Realm, and this is something that I actually haven't worked with and haven't even looked at too hard. Back when we were choosing a persistence layer for this app, the fact that it required inheriting from a, a god superclass was uh, was a problem for me. And so I didn't go too much further into it. Uh, have you actually worked with Realm?
0: So I have not worked with Realm. I know a little bit about the details of it, um, but I haven't actually like written any anything that works with Realm.
1: Do you want to talk at least a little bit about the details that you do know? Because I am r- completely out of my depth here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, One thing I should say is um, the people who use Realm really, really like it. We have friends that work on projects that use Realm. They're really into it. So there are people that really do like it, even if it's not the best solution for you and me. Sure. So basically it kind of came out to patch over some of these things that Core Data has a tough time with. So number one, um setting up a stack is super easy i think you just make a new realm and then you're good to go you can start adding and saving objects um it's also thread safe uh so anything that you do is just like you just pass these objects across thread boundaries and it's basically totally fine It uh doesn't rely on sqlite it's actually really interesting how it works your class like kind of dynamically bridges to the disk it's kind of memory mapped if you If you know about the memory map function. Yeah. Um, So basically when you read a property, it is actually going to the disk and reading that straight off the disk. It's never copied into memory first, the way it would be with core data. Um, So it's not SQLite. It's something totally different. Uh, They had open sourced their bindings for a while, but now they've also open sourced the actual C++ core of the thing that actually manages these bindings and and all that stuff. So it is entirely open source now, which is really nice. Um, Core data is the only option that we talked about today that's not open source. Uh, YAP is also open source. And so because it never has to bridge and copy these things into memory, uh, it's supposed to be much more performant than something like core data. Um, Yeah, it's got some really interesting, weird, weird stuff going on with it. I would assume that means it's in theory even more performant than YAP too. It depends, I think, right? So if you're reading a lot, um every read that you do is going all the way to the disk. So mm-hmm. that's a trade-off you may not be willing to make. You may want just want to copy that once into memory and be able to use that value. But if you're reading a little bit less and writing a little bit more, uh it may be a better balance and it may be it may make more sense to to read it directly off the disk and and work with the data like as bytes on the disk instead of in memory.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a pretty cool solution and I know they have a lot of funding. And so they have like, you know, they have a really good team that works on a lot of really interesting things. They make SwiftLint, um, which is a great tool that we use. So it's kind of, you know, best in class in terms of the people that work on it and like the features that it has. So it does work and it may be a really good option for you. I don't know how it works. Like, is it a relational database per se? Like, I really don't know this offhand. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not sure I do either. I'm sure we'll get an email about it. Probably. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. It can be a good solution. I might uh, recommend it over core data in every situation. Do you think that's fair to say? I
1: think that, I mean, well, I don't know that much about it, so I don't really feel comfortable saying that, although I feel like you may
0: be right. Yeah. I'm just struggling to think of a time when I would be working on an app where I would think core data is appropriate and Realm is not appropriate. Yeah, I'm really not sure. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe email us, leave a comment yeah, on the Patreon. Yeah, please let
1: us know. We definitely would welcome uh, more input about this. And we'll include uh, a
0: couple links about Realm in the show notes, at least. Yeah, for sure. Those are all of the persistence frameworks that I know about. Yeah. I guess you could do raw SQLite. I did that for a couple apps. Really? Yeah. With I think with some... like It was a lot of um, boilerplate, but I think with some code gen, you could totally... Totally make that. Got to cool. worry about like input sanitization, etc. Though. Uh, I mean, it's not as bad as on the server, right? Because like, there's no like all the data on the device is usually just the users.
1: Yeah, device. I guess so, but
0: eh. it's not as big of a deal. Um, and they have, I mean, I think SQLite is actually better than MySQL about like if you pass a string to it, it will sanitize.
1: Really? It. That's got to depend on the bindings
0: that you're using, doesn't I know. it? I don't know. It's been a long time. We've <laughs> talked about doing an episode about our first apps. This would this app I would definitely need to talk okay. about in, our, in the episode about our first apps. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh, I I wrote all the code manually. I wrote all the JSON parsing code manually. I wrote all the uh SQLite code manually and it was, you know, you just need code to bridge from like a table row to a fully fleshed object and then one to also save that back. But if you had code gen, I you could kind of just write it yourself. Yeah. Like if you're code genning that like struct to NS coding bridge, you could just code gen the the SQLite to, um, to struct bridge for example. So think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> Before
1: we wrap up, I wanted to mention two things that I thought of when you mentioned that you were working directly with SQLite, uh, which would be FMDB, which are uh, Objective C wrappers around SQLite. Is that what you were using for
0: SQLite, or were you? Uh... It is what I was using. Okay. There was also something called Ego Database back in the day, which I think I was also a SQLite wrapper, and it had operation QSOR, huh. Maybe when FMDB didn't, so I used one of those. I can't remember which one, or both, if possible.
1: <laughs> so FMDB yeah. would be something to look at if you're interested in using SQLite more directly. And then um, from Marco Arment, there's FC model, uh, which I've never worked with, but which it says on GitHub is an alternative to core data for people who like having direct SQL access. So uh, there you go. If you want, quote, some of core data's convenience, but with more control over implementation, performance, database schemas, yada, 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 um, this may be something to check out. I've never worked with it, so I can't necessarily recommend it, but put it on your list.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something to check out. Uh, okay, so we could toss links to those in the show notes, but other than that, anything else, Chris?
1: No, I don't think I have anything else to add. Those are everything that I've worked with or uh, most of the things that I can remember ever reading about. So. Cool. Well, thanks, Patreon supporters, and we will talk to you next week.